Hey friends, I want to thank our amazing sponsors over at the Boyd Ranch Mule Days. I've been going down to the Boyd Ranch just outside of sunny Wickenburg, Arizona uh, for the past couple of years. I've had a lot of fun doing clinics down there and I can't wait to go back in March. Boyd Ranch Mule Days is now the entire week of March 7th through the 13th, 2022. And of course, my clinic is three days long. That's the 7th through the 9th. Uh, along with my good friend, Mr. Chris Clark, who is a Grand Canyon uh, veteran. He's been down there, been packing many years, very experienced, and a great teacher. You'll enjoy learning from Chris as well. You know, they also got a driving clinic down there. And, uh, you know, I don't know a lot about driving. And uh, this is going to be fun to, to see what's going on over there. There's some, they're covering some basic harnessing and driving single and double. You know, after three full days of clinicking between my clinic the packing clinic and the driving clinic then it's time to get out on the trail they got short medium long rides uh going on and also an ultra long wilderness ride they offer uh they got their famous trail obstacle course they they got their all-out mule ramble going on they're giving away ribbons prizes and i think they've even talked me into being the announcer for the event so i'm gonna have a blast there for sure every night there's there's food good food uh they got concerts going on live music and dancing and it's going to be a ton of fun family friendly and i just can't wait to be there if you want to come to boyd ranch mule days i'd love to see you there go visit boydranch.org for more information and to apply to join us hey i can't wait to see you there looking forward to it All right, friends, welcome back to Everyday Mulemanship. My name is Ty Evans, and I really appreciate you jumping on and listening today. I hope you're having a blessed Christmas season wherever you are in this awesome world of ours. I know we are. Um, it's been uh, it's been winter for sure here in Utah. It's getting dang cold at night, but we've had a couple of a nice days to get out and ride, you know, gets up into the thirties and, and, uh, when it's been, you know, hovering around zero, 30 degrees feels really good. So, uh, we've enjoyed a little bit of riding and, you know, it's just been a nice December here for us. And I hope it's been the same way for you. You know, we had a, had a private clinic here. Um, a good friend of ours from Idaho come down and, and, uh, you know, the, the cold and the snow and the wind did not bother her one bit. I mean, we got cold for dang sure, but it was great, you know, to, uh, and really it kind of made me get out and ride earlier, and, you know, cause I have a, you know, a friend and a client here wanting to work and ride. So, you know, usually my typical day here in the wintertime is I do, do chores early in the morning and then come inside and I, you know, record podcasts like this or, work on uploading videos or um, catch up on emails and, and things like that and voicemails and messages and whatever. And and then all oh, about 10 o'clock when it's starting to warm up a little bit, then I go outside and, and get to play with the mules a little. Uh, and we live against the mountain on the west side of the valley. So it gets dark here at 4.30. The sun is gone at 4.30. And as soon as that sun goes over that mountain, 
it is dang cold. I mean, it, it'll drop 20 degrees just as quick as that sun is gone. Um, it's crazy. And so, yeah, pretty much I only have a few hours every day, but, um, you know, like when Amy came down to do that private clinic, uh, you know, we got a lot done. You get a lot done in a day's time, you know, uh, doing these private clinics, you know, when there's just, just one person and, and, uh, you know, the first day we had a little job to do. We had to go down and shut off some water down into, down in the community cow pasture. Um, I don't know, a couple thousand acres just south of town here. And, um, they run some cows down there and it's kind of a, a co-op deal, I guess, back in the pioneer days. Um, all the townspeople would kind of put their cattle together. They take them down there to graze and the young men in the town would bring them back every day. And they'd, most of them were milk cows at that time too. And anyways, it's just this little community co-op cow pasture that's still going today. And it's still kind of a co-op today. And uh, my good buddy's the president of that. And he said, Hey, go down and shut off that water for me. And so first day, Amy and I, we, we rode down there and, and it was good going down the weather. I mean, it was cold and a little rainy. Um, it hadn't turned to snow yet. It was kind of interesting day, but it, it was fine. We, we got along good going down there and worked. Uh, I was riding a, a new mule I have named Bella and, and Amy was riding her donkey. She brought down and we got down there and rode out in the pasture and, oh, it's about an hour and a half ride down there and shut off the water. After we got the water shut off, we started riding back and the wind was blowing in our faces and it started snowing and, oh my gosh, by the time we were getting back into town, we were frozen and I had my phone uh, stuffed down in my pocket under all my layers and and my hands were just frozen. I Anyways, I... Un, trying to unzip my coat i couldn't i couldn't feel the zipper with my hands my thumb my my finger was so so cold i couldn't feel anything anyways i finally got my phone out and these stupid <laughs> these things smartphones uh with their touch screen my hand was so cold it wouldn't recognize my hand my finger it wouldn't it wouldn't recognize me trying to but i was trying to call sky teller to bring amy and me some gloves and uh anyways Got it working and Sky rescued us, brought us some gloves, <laughs> but we were cold. I was, I was grateful for technology that day though. Even though I couldn't get a call out, I was grateful for technology so I could call and get me some warm gloves. And it got me thinking about, um, you know, just our ancestors are, you know, the pioneer heritage. I'm, I'm really blessed. I have pioneer heritage all the way around. Uh, all of my, my families are pioneers coming here to Utah in the 1840s, 50s, and 60s, and uh, it's pretty neat, but when I get to thinking about them poor old boys out there in the wintertime having to get somewhere, having to go somewhere in the winter, if they did go anywhere, and getting cold, and man, I was able just to, to call Sky and get me some warm gloves, and boy, I'm spoiled, uh, but my ancestors, they had to endure. It was quite the deal, but anyways, Amy and I made it through it, and, um, the next day we, we, uh, we trailered out, oh, about an hour away from, from my place and to, uh, to Porter Rockwell's ranch. 
And uh, if you don't know who Porter Rockwell is, he was a really cool fella. Heck of a, heck of a horseman. And um, on this ranch, I mean, and this was built, uh, I don't know, 1860s probably, I think. Uh, I'm not entirely sure on that, but um, he'd go out there, he'd catch wild horses and train them and, and sell them. And his his place still stands out there and it's pretty neat uh he's got two big round there's two big round pins out there kind of in a in a in a figure eight so the round pins uh touch each other on one end there's a gate and i'm not entirely sure how much of the how much of it is new and how much of it is original because it's been repaired over the years and you know the ranch has passed through different owners and uh, whatnot, but anyways, these cool old round pins. Um, I mean, the the cedar posts and those things are seven foot tall, eight foot tall in some spots, maybe taller in some. And this cool sixty foot round pin, and all kinds of catch pins and and things going on there. A lot of it's rotted away, and you can kind of just see the the remnant of it, but. It was fun riding out there, and um, we were kind of talking about the horsemanship part of it. And, you know, a lot of these old places back in them days, I mean, they, they wouldn't use a round pin. Uh, there's a lot of ranches here in the Great Basin that never had a round pin on it. You you started the colts, it may be a corral, if you were lucky. And just as soon as you was on and, and the boss knew that you would stay, in the seat. I mean, they opened the gate and you just kind of bucked that cold out <laughs> until it quit bucking. And then you, then you'd long trot for a, a long ways out to wherever your cattle were or wherever, whatever work you had to do that day. And that was pretty much it. Um, just, just kind of, kind of rough and kind of, um, it might seem crude to a lot of you listening, like, oh, geez, that's a that's a hard thing on the animals, and and it and it was. They, uh, you know, when they started a lot of these cults, there was not a lot of regard for how the horse felt. You know, it's just kind of get on, stay on, and ride, and then you kind of teach them along the way, and. Most of the groundwork at that time, and of course they wouldn't really call it groundwork, but we'll call it groundwork for the sake of the talk here. Most of that groundwork was pretty rough. Uh, the way they saddled their horses, um, the way they caught their the horses that were just wild like this. I mean, it, it was it was rougher than a lot of things we do these days. But in some other aspects, a lot of the things they do outside, you know, getting those horses and there's those mules and whatever else they had there, uh, getting them outside and actually on the job learning, I think was easier than a lot of our animals have it these days. It seems like a lot of our animals, you know, we'll spend a lot of time in the arena. You know, we're kind of pounding on the reining. We're kind of pounding on the circles and the transitions and all these moves and we're getting it kind of, um, you know, really solid there in the arena. And, you know, you got to realize when you're working in the arena, it is not for the horse or the mule. It, it just really 
can't be that much for them. They're doing it for you. They're, they're trying to find comfort in what you're asking them, but it's really not, it's really not super enjoyable for the animal, I don't think. And you can make it that way. And of course, I, you know, most of you have been listening to me for a long time and been to my clinics. And of course, we try to make it everything we do as good as we can for that mule, for that horse. But, you know, way back when, and, and I still do a lot of it these days myself, but just getting out on these colts as quick as you can and being able to ride out through the sagebrush for miles and being able to get out and trot these critters up and down hills and through the rocks and through the brush and, and all this. And I know a lot of you listening, you're saying, I just can't do that where I'm from, Ty. I live in, you know, I live in Indiana and, you know, you can't, you can't trot nowhere out here. There's, there's woods everywhere. You can't ride anywhere. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, your situation, but I'm just saying a lot of these ranches back then, as, as crude as we may think their some of their methods and their ways were, and they are, um, a lot of, a lot of it is good stuff. I think it was better for a lot of these critters to get out and do a job and to have that freedom of movement and to be able to go, um, you know, uh, still to this day, a lot of ranches that I've been around and had the privilege of being around some of these guys. Um, yeah, they, they may get on a horse or a mule and it may buck and they may buck the mule out or the horse out, but they never pull on it. They don't try to make it stop. They don't try to shut it down. They kind of just let it go and let it hop around and, you know, you got to understand most of these saddle horses too, and these saddle mules, they don't want to buck and they can't buck. I mean, there's a few I've had, I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I've been dusted many a times, but most of them will kind of just hog around. And then these guys will just let them go. They'll get out and they'll start trotting, or maybe they lope a nice little, nice little lope out there. Um, they, they let them move instead of jerking on them, pulling on them ripping their head around, kicking them, punishing them uh, for bucking. A lot of times they'll just let them go. Just just go ahead. Now, these guys are good hands, and I'm not. I'm just telling you how some of the stuff works out here where I'm from. I'm not telling you this is the way you should do it or shouldn't do it. I'm just telling you what some of these things I've seen. But they'll let the horse or the mule go. And they have all day to ride, and most of these fellas have a job to do. They got to go somewhere. They got to put a lot of miles on, and and it it's amazing on you know just how good these people can get their critters. Now back to Porter Rockwell's ranch out there, and the big round pen. <clears throat> like I said back in that time, you probably wouldn't have seen a lot of round pens because what I just told you. They do a lot of things just out there. And so, uh, but Porter Rockwell is known as a pretty good horseman. And uh, it's kind of fun reading about him. If you've never read about him, I recommend it. He was an interesting character. That's for dang sure. Um, but, you know, well, Amy and I and my my friend Vic Lott, and if you, I'm sure you guys have listened to Vic Lott's episode. I'm not sure which episode number that was. But, uh, you know, um it it was it was just fun being able to talk about little history like that and kind of taking a, 
a ride back in time. We, we rode right out in the round pen a little bit and just kind of looked around and admired the work that maybe had been done there and, and, and admired the, admired the round pen. It was a heck of a round pen. I mean, just the work to build that thing is just incredible, but it was pretty neat. And, uh, it was a good day of riding. And, you know, one thing Amy really wanted help with was getting her donkey, was getting her donkey to, uh, to walk out better, um, to, to move out with a little bit more life. Now, a lot of people don't give donkeys the credit they deserve. They can walk, they can move, they can run, they can go. They're very athletic. I've had a lot of people say, oh, I can't take a donkey like like on my rock crawling clinic, our, our extreme trail riding clinic. They say, oh, I can't take a donkey. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Most of those little trails that we ride on were at one time donkey trails. That's how we found them. We found donkey tracks out there. And we follow those crazy donkeys up and down those cliffs. And they're like mountain goats. And they can hop and they can jump. And they can walk fast. They can trot. They can lope. And I was telling Amy these things, and we're talking about these things. And and I said, when it comes to really trying to keep a an animal, a donkey, mule, a horse, doesn't matter. It's all the same. But when motivated to, to walk out, what you don't want to do is constantly sit there and kick and kick and kick and kick and kick and have to prod this thing along the whole time. You don't want to have to have to do that. That is not what you want to be doing because it seems like once you start having to kick one the whole time, uh, maybe this on this ride, you, you're going to end up having to do it on every ride. So you kind of want to motivate that donkey to move out on his own. And I told her, um, I want you to pick a distance from me and I recommended like 20 feet from behind my mule. And I said, I want this donkey to stay within 20 feet of me. When it gets out of that 20 foot range, that's when I want you to use your legs. As long as it's within 20 feet, maybe you, maybe the, the donkey trots up right behind me. That's fine. Don't kick it. And it might be slowing down, slowing down, slowing down. Don't touch it until you get to that 20 foot mark. And of course, you're just guessing on what that 20 foot is. You don't have to get the tape measure out. Um, and then once that donkey gets the 20 foot mark, then you come in with your legs. And she worked through this and she made some progress. And it was only a couple, you know, she's only here for three days doing this private clinic, you know, last week. But, uh, but the, the, the donkey found a little motivation there. And it's, if you're ever dealing with something that is just poking along and you feel like you have to kick and a kick and a kick the whole time, I would rather you do less sooner. And the other thing that I see a lot with this in regards to doing less sooner is people do more later. What I mean is, is they sit there and they bump 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 and then they start bumping more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And they bump and bump and bump so hard. And then the donkey finally goes, well, they did more later. So I told Amy, when that donkey gets to that 20 foot mark and it, it's back 20 foot away from me, I want you to come in there and get the thing moving. Do less sooner. I'd rather you come in there one good drive, whether you're bumping with your legs or you, you bump them with your, you just smack them a little bit with your reins uh, or whatever it is. But 
but come in there and and get it done instead of sitting there and man i i think it's just a painful situation when you have to to just kick the whole time i i don't like that so the other thing i told her too was ride the way you want the donkey to ride so you you want the donkey to walk out so your body needs to be walking out moving you need to have life in your body and this is hard one to explain but when we're talking about life in the body i'm talking about coming from the inside of you uh from from your gut like this this energy like you're 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 ready to to put out this big move of energy coming from your inside and um, to ride like that. So you're kind of riding excited. You kind of have to ride with a smile. Like you, you got a lot of life in you. So, so that's what you're, you're looking for there, but you have to ride like that. If you want the donkey ride like that, you can't kick the donkey up to wherever it is you want it to be. And then, and then stop, basically stop riding and just totally like sit on the thing. You got to keep the light. Now, now you, you don't want to keep kicking and you don't want to keep the pressure on, but you want to keep the life in your body. This is the hardest thing to teach because what I just said is, is about the best I can do to, to teach you, to show you any of that. You have to figure it out on your own how to have that life in your body. And it's super challenging. So it takes time. But we kind of worked on that a little bit. And then uh, on day three, we took a little ride up here around the house. There's quite a bit of fresh snow and we just kind of went out up in the hills and it was a good little ride. And, uh, you know, it, I enjoy these private clinics a lot. Um, I really enjoy working from home. If I'm being honest, I, I like it. And, uh, if I could, if I could get all of you to, to, to come here to work and, and ride and, and get help here, then I sure would. Um, you know, and these private clinics at home too, you just, you just never know. It's like last summer. Um, every summer we offer these, uh, we call them semi-private group clinics where we take four people. So we let four people sign up. And on those day, on those deals, you just never know what you're going to do. Um, because I might get a call from one of my friends that says, hey, we're gathering cows, moving them to a different pasture. We need help. And we'll all go move cows. We might be packing salt up on the mountain for the cows. We might go on a trail ride one day. We might go move sheep one day. We might pack groceries to the sheep herder up on the mountain. Um, we might work in the arena. We might uh, play with my steers at home and just do some roping. Um, there's so many. There's so many different things that that uh, you could do. It, it's just a lot of fun. So I enjoy those quite a bit. So that's kind of what we've been. Uh, doing these days you know right in the middle of our 12 days of christmas too um if you're listening and you have no idea what i'm talking about our 12 days of christmas we've been doing this this is the third year now i believe and every day we give away a bunch of cool stuff it's it's really awesome um we've got some incredible sponsors this year uh colt saddlery is our is our top sponsor um and he is Colt Naring is going to build a custom saddle for the winner of day 12. And we, we've been giving away all kinds of gifts. We've been giving away head stalls, britchens, uh, bozals, makatis, slobber straps, 
Um, uh, I mean, shoot, hell hats, cowboy hats, uh, stall signs. I mean, uh, there's all kinds of, uh, we've been giving away magazine subscriptions to Mules and More and a Western Mule magazine. I mean, there's all kinds of good stuff. I've been giving away my private virtual clinics and my video coaching and, um, anyways, it's in DVDs and things. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, and pretty much everybody that has signed up for a clinic in 2022 is entered in the drawing automatically. And it's been actually surprising. There's been a few people that have won that didn't know that we even did this. So I apparently I'm, I don't do a good enough job of getting it out there, but we're right in the middle of that. And you know, it's just really cool. Uh, it, this Christmas season, you know, it is all about the people that surround you. And, you know, I think that's what Christ wants us to, to remember is, you know, and I think that's the best way we can celebrate his birth is by giving to others. I mean, he gave us the ultimate gift, you know, um, you know, his life for our sins. And I mean, just, <laughs> I mean, these 12 days of Christmas just seem like nothing, you know, obviously compared to that, but it's, it's one way that we can give back to all of our, uh, wonderful, um, friends that come to the clinics and participate in this. And it's our way to give back to, uh, to, to our, our pals in small business. I mean, all, all of our sponsors this year for the 12 days of Christmas, our small business, uh, family businesses. Um, and I love to support them. I, I mean, I think small business, I mean, because I run a small business, I think this is the backbone of, of this country and it's amazing. And so I love supporting everybody and it's, it's a lot of fun jumping on and we, we've been doing them live on Facebook. Uh, so if you're on Facebook and you're listening to this, it's December 21st right now, Tuesday, December 21st when I'm recording this. Uh, but yeah, you could jump on tonight, um, and, and catch us live, go to TS meals on Facebook and catch us live on there. And, and it's been fun seeing friends and saying hello. It's been awesome. So, um, I am going to jump in now. We've, we've got a few questions. Uh, I know I've been rambling now for a little while, but, uh, we've got a bunch of really good questions. And so I'm going to answer one right now and then we're going to go to break and, and thank some sponsors here. Uh, first question comes from Judy Smith. Uh, for years now, Sweet Sue has not been happy about being groomed. I've tried soft brushes and firm ones with pretty much the same ears back, grumpy attitude. She doesn't mind being vacuumed. Um, I've looked at it from a discomfort perspective and had her check for gastric ulcers, Lyme disease, cystic ovaries, and found nothing abnormal. This leads me to think it is behavioral. And as you know, she can have some strong opinions. Any thoughts on the best way to deal with this? As always, thank you both for all you do. Well, thanks, Judy. And Judy's from Maryland. Um, and I know Sweet Sue very well. Uh, Judy and Sweet Sue have been coming to my clinics in Virginia and, and in the East for, for a few years now. Um, okay, Judy, so I had a meal once that was really bad about brushing, and I realized it was me. It was the way I was brushing the meal. Uh, he just hated being brushed, and I realized that I was just, 
I would I would brush very aggressively trying to get the dirt and mud and whatever off and and, and my hand just was pretty was pretty firm when it come to brushing and it got him bad about that. Now um it took me a long time to help him out and and now I would have a even a a better way of helping him I think. But one thing I would do now is I would try to build a whole bunch of good experiences brushing. Now, this might sound funny and it might sound odd, but it's no different than when I'm working on any other piece of mulemanship. I would go to brush this mule, and the moment she seemed uh, discomforted, the moment she seemed worried, I would stop brushing, step back, and leave her be. Now, you'll notice that when she got worried, her head probably went up, her body was tight, tense, um, her mouth was tight, maybe even swishing her tail, uh, things like that. Back off and let her come down off of that. Now, you're not going to see anything dramatic right off the bat. You're not going to see her licking her lips. You're not going to see her blinking her eyes. She might still swish her tail. Her head might still be raised. But back off for a little while until you see some kind of downward regulating, some down transition going on there with her, her expression. So that might be one minute. It might be five minutes. I don't know. Go to brush her again. The, again, the moment she seems discomforted, back off. Leave her alone. Wait for her to come off of that. Um, and it might seem like you're doing the opposite of what you, what you want to get done. People maybe that are, maybe if you have the same level of understanding that I had five years ago, because if you told me this five years ago, I would have said, well, geez, you're teaching that mule to have a poor attitude. And if you just quit the session on this, yeah, you would, but you're not going to quit on this. You're going to continue going. And I might do this for an hour or two, stopping every time the mule feels discomfort. And you'll find before long, that mule will be licking and chewing when you quit, and you're creating all these positive pathways all these positive dendrites in their mind are being created. And before you know it, she'll be good to brush. But you got to hang in there the first few rounds. You can't quit in the middle of it. You can't quit uh, just just back away on the negative. You got to you gotta continue on. It might take you an hour or two. But each time that she seems bothered, you step back, leave her alone for a moment, let her come off of that little thing because every time she gets worried she's clicking over to the sympathetic nervous system and getting a, a little bothered we don't want her to get so bothered so you'll back off of that every time uh, i'll explain more after our break we're going to thank a sponsor real quick and we are very grateful for all those that support us hang tight i need to thank my friend mr ben lewis at roman home mr ben has designed a really awesome tent. It's a cross between a wall tent and a range teepee. It's built to take tough weather, high winds. Craftsmanship is amazing. And it's made right here in the USA. Right here in Utah, USA. And uh, right now, Ben has a special going on. You can save 500 bucks. And uh, go to romanhome.com. Roman spelled R-O-A. M-I-N, romanhome.com, and uh, tell Ben hello, tell him Ty sent you. Okay, 
Um, before our break, I was just chatting about um, Judy's Mule Sweet Sue and this whole brushing thing. And a lot of you are probably thinking, what the heck is Ty talking about? He's going to teach this thing to be bothered about brushing. But and, and I thought so too. But here's the deal. You need to give that animal a, a chance to downregulate and not go into this sympathetic nervous system so highly and, and be so bothered by it. Um, and you're not ending your whole session. You're just ending the moment. So you're saying, hey, sweet Sue, I noticed that that's bothering you. Uh, I'm going to back off and let you chill for just a second. It's the same thing with, you know, um, oh, shoot, mules that buck. Okay, mules that buck when they're, when they're saddled. Okay. Um, just a few years ago, I mean, I'm just, just, I mean, a couple years ago, if I had a mule that blew up and bucked, I'm probably going to drive them. <clears throat> I was pro I'm probably going to hustle that thing. And make it work, whether I was on the ground or in the saddle, I would make it work, make it move, make it run off. I'd, I'd, I'd try to get it to run. I'd rather it run um, and, and kind of break out of that hopping. Uh, but now, um, if one was to buck, you know, maybe I just put the saddle on and they go to bucking with the saddle. I ain't, I ain't going to make it do anything. I'm not going to make that mule go anywhere. I'm just going to let it buck, let it go, just let it be. I'm not going to interfere at all. I'm just going to let it be, and I'm going to let that mule figure out how to find comfort within himself. Um, one of my mentors, Martin Black, when he talks about starting cults and they're real bothered, he would say, "Don't don't look to me. Look to yourself." When he, and he's talking, he's saying this to the horse basically, "Don't look to me. Look to yourself." He wants the horse to find comfort within itself and and be able to chill on his own, relax on his own, come down, self-regulate on his own, um, whether we're there or not. I want him to be able to do that. And, and you know, f for me, I mean, just a few years ago, I said, well, I w I'd like them to find comfort with me. And I, and I do. I want them to be comfortable around me. So don't get me wrong on this. I want it to be comfortable around me, but I want them to be able to find comfort within themselves to be able to self-regulate themselves. You see, a lot of these mules, they find comfort in different things. Some find comfort in the herd. Well, most of them find comfort in the herd for sure. Some of them get very comfortable in their surroundings. Maybe they get comfortable by your barn, in their paddock, in their corral. Some get comfortable in the pasture, by that tree. Uh, maybe they have a buddy out there. They're real comfortable around that buddy. Maybe they get comfortable, um, it, yeah, I mean, with you. Uh, one thing I hear a lot um, is somebody say, well, my mule stands tied fine as long as I'm standing there by it. But when I leave the mule, it starts pawing again. See that, that, that the mule has found comfort in you. So good job on that. You've checked that box off, but the mule has not found comfort, uh, within himself. And that's what we're trying to get down here. So that's, you know, back to Judy and Sue, 
you know, I mean, it might just seem like such a simple thing. Oh, doesn't like being brushed. Well, pay attention. Pay attention to this thing. Notice those things. And when you start noticing those things, you, you'll find that the, the mule will make changes for the better. Um, you know, just one positive thing seems to lead to another. I was doing a, yesterday, I was doing a private virtual clinic with a, a friend of mine in Colorado. And these private virtual clinics we do on Zoom, basically. We'll, we'll uh, pull up the Zoom. And uh, it's pretty neat because, you know, like my friend yesterday, Paul, he uh, he uh, had some pre-recorded videos ready and on his computer. So we did the screen sharing and all that. And, uh, you know, we, we were talking about all these things and he, he had a problem catching. He had a little bit of a glitch saddling. He had a glitch putting the snaffle bit on. He had a glitch with the groundwork. He had a glitch putting his foot up in the stirrup. Um, the, the mule was scared and he, he had, was worried about getting vet work done on it. And so all these one, little things, uh, one after the other, they, they add up. And during this private virtual clinic, I was telling him, you know, you, you got to go back to the beginning, just, just catching. See, see how the, the, the resistance begins right there when you catch that mule. The mule is already on the defense and already braced up and already shifting over to the sympathetic nervous system, flight, fight, freeze. He's already shifting into that before you have even caught the darn thing. You're just trying to catch him. He's already there. And when you start there, you give him this little spoonful of this, this little dose of, of worry. And then, okay, then you're going to, you're putting the saddle on. Then you add another little spoonful of, of worry. And then you put the snap bit on. That doesn't go good. Another spoonful of worry. And then you do the groundwork. That doesn't go good. And one thing he was working in the groundwork was this meal wanting to, kept wanting to bolt away. And so I tried to help him say, you know, listen, this goes back all the way to you catching. The way you catch the mule is probably going to tell you whether that mule is going to bolt on you that day or not. If there's resistance when you just catch the darn thing, there's going to be resistance throughout the whole thing. And Judy, as we've worked with Sweet, Sweet Sue over the years, sometimes we call her Sassy Sue, right? <laughs> uh, we know that there's a lot of resistance later on down the road, and it's not like, you know, super dangerous or, or deadly stuff. You know, it's just annoying stuff and embrace with the mule. We'll get to say no, but the mule say no, just when you brush it and you brush it before you put your saddle on it. Right. So there's already a no happening before you've even saddled up. So you, so you, you can see how something as simple as brushing, a lot of you listen, like, Oh really? This is just such a basic thing. Brushing. Well, it's not, everything is important. Every, every single part of this is important. The way you catch the mule, the way you brush your mule, the way you saddle them, the way you, they stand to mount. Uh, as you go through your checklist, each of these pieces are important. Um, especially here in the U.S., we have this mindset that the, these first steps are not as important or are not as big of a deal as, as say, so say step one is not as important as step 10. Well, when you get to step 10, Step one through nine should be in there as well. It needs to be there. When you get to step two, all of step one should be there. When you get to step three, all of step one and two should be there. But so often we think, well, uh, I need to advance. You know, sometimes we have sometimes we have advancement so much on our minds that we get we get caught up in in that end game, 
and not uh you know not so much in the the things we should be focusing on but each of those steps matter it really does it really does so all right let's move on to the next question friends here uh teresa marhain i probably just killed that last name i'm sorry if i did um, hello, I signed up and I'm watching your videos now. She's talking about our online video library, tsmules.com. I'm looking for anything in your video collection that will help me lead my mule and get him to slow down. He is new here and really good in many ways, and I'm planning to start working on your weekly challenges here, but taking him out and trying to lead him to like the round pin is a workout. Any quick tips to get him to slow down so I'm not already sweating before we even start? Thanks for any direction. Okay, Teresa, uh, <clears throat> your first question about videos. Uh, yeah, the the very first thing we teach on the ground is clearing the front. So when it comes to our actual movements with the lead rope, clearing the front is step one. That's when you get that front end, the front two feet to either go to the left or to the right. You're trying to build a big reach in there with that reaching foot. You're trying to build this willingness, keeping slack in the rain. So the mule is waiting for you and is with you, is not ahead of you or behind you. Uh, so you're, you're not like literally getting the mule to, to, to lead behind you or you know, follow you anywhere. This is teaching the mule to go to the left or the right with you. So... Although it's, you know, and this is kind of, it's kind of this way in most of your mulemanship troubles, you guys, like, like she's having a problem leading the mule, you know, from the corral to the round pen, for example. Um, but that's not, we're not really going to work on that to fix it. That makes sense. I'd work on the very first step of the groundwork. Get that front end clearing, get that slack grain working. Um, if the mule's getting ahead of you also, um, you, you're you're late. So as I'm leading the mule, just leading it forward, I'm walking just forward and leading that mule with me. Um, that mule's nose should not pass my elbow, my arm. So their nose should not be ahead of my arm. My arm is parallel, just hanging straight down on my body. Uh, the mule shouldn't get ahead of me at all with its nose. It should just be right there with me. Um, and... You can feel, so you got to pay attention. Don't get so wrapped up in where you're headed. Uh, but you can feel that mule creeping up on you, getting ahead of you. You can feel the energy. Um, it's just like if you're walking at, down the aisle at the store and somebody's walking up. They're not to you yet, but you can you can feel them. They're walking faster. They're going to walk past you. You can feel it. You, you, you know that they're going to walk past you. It's the same thing with your mules. Pay attention. And when you feel that coming up, that you'll take your lead rope. And I like to just take my arm, holding it straight up, and I'll go straight down. And that sends a little line up that lead rope. It'll bump them. And I'll block them and get them back. Don't let them get ahead of you. And you got to set the standard so it's the same every time. And make sure you are choosing the speed that you're going to go. Don't let that mule dictate the speed you're going to go. So you you're going to... If you want to walk slow, walk slow. Don't walk fast. Don't try to keep up with the mule. The mule needs to keep up with you. Um, and so to answer your question about the videos, 
yeah, there's the whole groundwork collection. There's a whole bunch. Um, we also have another collection called the groundwork checklist. And that is basically what I teach every single mule. And I think they all need to know that. And I promise you, Teresa, if you go through that groundwork checklist and you get your mule going good on all those pieces, you're not going to have this leading issue at all anymore. So I would work on those uh, specifically to answer your question about videos. Do that groundwork checklist collection. Get all of them going in order, and that will fix it right up, I promise you, um, along with those other couple tips I just give you. Um, one other thing that I will say about that is, you know, you don't have to lead him to the round pen to work. Work him right in, in his paddock. Work him in the pasture. Um, you don't have to go anywhere. So since he's not leading worth the darn, he doesn't know how to lead anyways. Uh, don't lead him to the round pen. Just work right where he is in his in his pasture or the corral or whatever. Work right there and and get him uh, clearing that front, leading on that loose rein. And, um, and then, of course, you, you stay ahead of him. Pay attention to that speed and do less sooner. If he's already leading you and if you're like back at his shoulder, you're too late. That mule should not pass you. Good question, Teresa. And uh, thanks for subscribing to the video library. If you're listening, you don't know about the video library, go to my website, tsmules.com, and uh, take a look at the video library. We got um, about 285 videos on there now, and I got a a lot more in the works. We've kind of slowed down on filming here with all the snow and ice. But if we get a couple of nice days, we got a lot of good stuff in the in the plans here coming up. So lots more video to come. And especially when we kick off the clinics. You know, when we do the clinics, I have, I mean, it's just endless footage to get. And we have a collection on there called Clips from Clinics. So if you've been to a clinic, especially last year in 2021, you might check that out because you might find some video in there. And um, you might even be lucky enough to find yourself in there working on something and you can see uh yeah how you can get better so okay uh next question comes from bob kroll uh ty and sky after watching uh one of your training videos i recalled your description of a ported bit with copper inlays which you preferred for bridle reining what bit is this i'm presently using a tom thumb stainless steel uh okay bob i would not recommend a tom thumb uh, I think a Tom Thumb is one of the, probably one of the worst inventions ever. Um, I would not recommend that. Wouldn't use it. Um, so for, for bridle bits, uh, I recommend most mules. They're not quite as sensitive as a lot of horses can be. So it's kind of hard to get a spade bit mule. Um, but a lot of them, you know, uh, you could use a half breed. A half breed, a half breed is a little bit. Uh, it's got a little bit more to it than the than the spade, as far as your direction. Um, but it's good for it's good for most mules. So a half breed. Um, uh, and I have, I got a few of them. Uh, Jeremiah Watt makes a real good, um, a real good usable half breed bit. Um, I like a Santa Barbara cheek piece. Um, I like that bar that that bar straight across i don't want I, I do have some with tongue relief and they're a little bit more severe you know uh, the tongue relief sounds all nice and pretty doesn't it but when you relieve something you put pressure on something else there's nothing 
you can't just take the pressure out of there and say, well, well, tongue relief. It puts pressure somewhere else. So uh, the tongue relief will put more pressure on the bars. It's a more severe bit. Um, but I, I, so I'd recommend the, the bar straight across for the mouthpiece, half breed mouthpiece with a roller in it. Um, that's a great bridle bit. Um, most mules will like that bit. Um, I would go with that. Uh, there's all kinds of half breeds you can buy. Um, and you can just start looking around. There's all kinds of mouthpieces and it kind of depends on what the mule likes. And by the time they're, by the time they're in a bridle, uh, I mean, they, they're awesome. So I, I give them a little chance to choose there. My snaffle bits, and that's what I start everything in and get everything going good in is those snaffle bits. Um, snaffle's a snaffle. I mean, the function of it's the same. I got a, a couple different snaffles, and some mules seem to like the taste of one metal more than the other, whatever. But I don't worry about that so much. But when it comes to the bridle, um, I kind of care. I, I want them to be accepting of a bridle bit. So you check to see, and I could probably do a whole episode on bridle bits, seriously. Um, and we got some videos coming up for the video library. We're going to be teaching this stuff here. But uh, it's funny. When you have your mule in the snaffle bit, you want them fairly quiet in the mouth. You don't want them working their mouth very often. When you get them in the bridle, you want them busy the whole time. You don't want a mule that doesn't work the cricket in the bit. You want it to work the cricket and keep a loose jaw. So yeah, that's kind of how you'd know if they liked it. If they work that cricket a lot, you know they kind of kind of like the bit. If they're real tight with their mouth and they don't work that cricket, they probably don't like it that much. So anyways, half-breed bit. Uh, like I said, Jeremiah Watt does a good job. I recommend him a lot. Uh, Martin Black, he's got, um, always has a good selection of bridle bits on his website, martinblack.com. He's not a sponsor or anything. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, Jam Capriola's got some good bits. Always Garcia bits are always amazing. Okay, uh, Bob has a second question. My winter riding is barefoot in Rio Grande River Bosque in Corrales, New Mexico. I probably said that wrong. Um, he's looking for recommendations on easy boots for mules. And, um, he's trying to figure out what size, uh, he's hoping to come to our tropic clinic this summer. Uh, Bob, I, I don't know anything about easy boots, so I can't help you on that, sir. Um, uh, I've, I've, I have used some, we had a mule well, this Bella mule I talked, I mentioned her earlier, Bella. We got her. She was real sore. She didn't have much of a hoof wall left. The, the, the fellow that trimmed her did a terrible job when we got her. And uh, she was pretty much lame for about, I mean, like six weeks until the hoof grew back, basically. Um, <clears throat> so we got some easy boots for her. And they helped her get around some of the places, some of the clinics we went to that had a little gravel and a little bit more of a hard surface that seemed to help her a little bit. But besides that, I don't know anything about easy boots, Bob. I'm sorry. I can't help you on that one. Um, all right. And Bob also had a question on, um, what is the progression to ground tie a mule? So ground tying, if you don't know what ground tying is, it's basically getting your mule broke to where you could 
drop your lead rope and they would stay there. Uh, it's a good thing to, to learn and it's good, especially those of you that, that are in the ranching culture. If you're around a lot of ranching, um, you know, you, you, you get off to fix a, you know, uh, a head box in, in a spring or you get off to, uh, maybe you got something roped and you get off to, you know, doctor a calf or something, get off to fix some fence, whatever. Um, basically the mule won't leave you. Uh, if I know I'm going to be there for any length of time, much more than, much more than like a minute, I'm going to be hobbling the mule. So I'm not going to, I don't ever trust ground tying to, to a mule to just leave it there for a long amount of time. I mean, that's, <clears throat> you're just asking for it. And, 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 and the mule is going to, you know, at some point, um, there'll be something that will override the comfort that they find from just standing there. So what I mean is maybe you leave them there for a little while, but there's some grass over there. And pretty soon they get to thinking about that grass and get to thinking they're a little hungry and uh, they're uncomfortable there being standing there now. There's more comfortable or more enticing to go to the grass. Therefore, it's canceled out, right? So, uh, but to answer your question about the progression of teaching mule to ground type, First, you got to teach them to stop. So you go through your groundwork, the groundwork checklist. I've mentioned that already in this podcast episode, but you get your groundwork checklist all going good. That way the mule will go where you want it to go and stop where you want it to stop. The stop is the key, stopping on the mark. And um, fence work does a tremendous job at teaching this ground tying because you stop on the mark. You, you can't expect them to stay there if they can't stop there. So stop on the mark. And then you get out a um, little ways out on your lead rope and you just get to where they can they can stand there and you have the lead rope kind of on the ground and you're holding the end of it and you get them to where they can stand, you know, a few feet from you and, and next thing you know, you get a, lo- a longer lead rope and I, I just use a lariat rope. Grab your lariat. You know, I got a 50-footer and a 60-footer so you can really get out there. But um, you, you work your way out in length and basically as you as you work your way out, whenever they go to leave, you just ask them to do something. You ask them to work a little bit. You, you send them somewhere, you, you roll the hinds, you do something particular. So you cause them to move a little bit and then you ask them to stop again. And I like to, to teach them to ground tie in one spot so they can really grasp the thing. Don't, don't try it, you know, um, in this corner of your arena and then tomorrow go in that corner, then tomorrow go in the other corner, teach them in one spot while they're learning. So they really get the idea. And it's even better if you can have some kind of marker. Um, one thing that I like to teach them is, is, uh, is if you can maybe get them to stop on a tarp or maybe put a piece of plywood out there, get them to stop on a piece of plywood. Um, some of you make these little bridges. You know, I see a lot of those out there. Get them to stop on a little bridge. But basically, some place where they can learn to stop. Get them to stop there and stay there. And you work your way out. You get a little farther away. And you do it for longer periods of time. Here's the deal. I don't recommend you wait for them to fail um, in the beginning. In the beginning, stay out there a little bit. And when you see them thinking about moving, and you watch their expression, watch their ears, watch their thoughts, when you see them thinking about leaving, go ahead and ask them to leave. So that's what you do in the beginning. And the beginning could be the first few weeks or months. 
in the end, I will let them fail. So what I mean is, so maybe I've been working on this for months and they kind of know to stay there for, let's just say one minute. And I will wait one minute and I will wait until they actually make the choice to leave. And then I'll kind of hustle them up a little bit, drive them a little bit, put them back, trying to make that place really easy. And of course, you keep this in short increments of time as long as you can, short increments of time, and you build a little out, a little out of time. So that's how I do the ground tie in there, Bob. Thanks for the questions. Appreciate it. Uh, and Bob is from uh, Colorado. Okay. Um, Susan Gibson. Um, this is a little bit long here, so bear with me. My mule had an episode where I was off. She spooked at traffic and let me uh, left me stranded. Um, since then, she's been terrified of semis and big trucks on the road. What can I do for her to regain my mule's confidence in traffic? She's also scared of cows. And in some places, we run into both. How can I keep her calm when she sees cows? I realize how pressure and release works. I don't have control over traffic, though. Um, I started leading her with a, the side-by-side -side and parking at the end of our driveway, letting her watch trucks go by. Uh, we ease closer to the road as she relaxed. The next day, I led her down the road, past cows on both sides of the road. Um, she was better and improved every day until yesterday when she had a meltdown with one truck out of maybe 20 or so, then a mile or so from a half mile from home. Uh, she had another meltdown from two calves that she saw. Should I stop at the point she blows up? Um, should I keep leading her like nothing happened? She has pinned near some cows and is okay, but others terrify her. Um, okay. So cows and cars. Okay, Susan, um, first thing I'm going to tell you about what's going on here is it sounds like you need to get this mule better broke. Um, cows, cars, things that scare them, whatever it is, um, you, you know, work on keeping that mule centered. So you've really got to step it up. And, and I hear this a lot with different things. And I mean, I've experienced all of this. I mean, I got mules that are scared of all the above and we're working through things and I'll get to that particular part. But the main thing that you can work on all the time without cows, without trucks, without scary things near it, you can work on this all the time is keeping the mule centered. Get to where your legs really have some meaning to where you can get them to turn around real good. Get them to move the hinds real good. Get them to stop. Get them to back up. Get them to leg yield, side pass, do haunches in, half pass. I mean, get all this stuff built up. Get control of your transitions. Um, uh, I'm starting a new little study here where I'm, I'm keeping track of things like this, and I'm going to start asking these individuals a few questions. And one of the questions I'm going to ask is, how, how well can they do all these pieces of the checklist? How, how far up the checklist are you? Um, because what I realize most of the time is a lot of mules that have these issues just simply aren't broke. I mean, maybe you can go down the trail. I mean, it's really easy to trail break a mule. You know, they can, they, they learn very quickly how to go down the trail, follow the trail, go from point A to point B. That's really easy, but get them truly broke, get them to where you can handle the hinds, handle the fronts and all these things I mentioned earlier. That's a challenge. And most of these mules that have this huge scaring thing where all this stuff is so terrifying, they're usually not broke in my experience. So Susan, that's the first thing I'd recommend you do is really amp up your, your work on getting a good handle. And I'm talking my standard of handle. I'm not talking, 
you know, the, the redneck down the road, I'm talking my standard of a good handle. I want that thing to, to, to be handy. Okay. You're going to make a bridal meal out of them is, is what I'm trying to get at. Um, now, as far as addressing things that are scary. Now, the traffic is challenging. And that's something that I would mostly focus on getting the meal broke well. And then introducing some traffic on some some small roads. And I'm, you know, where I'm at here in Utah, I mean, it's, I don't have a lot of traffic here. So I don't really work on this a lot. Um, but with the cows, that's a little, that's a little easier. Um, and, uh, we're going to take a quick break right now and thank another sponsor. And when I come back, I'm going to talk to, to y'all and help Susan here, get her mule over the cows in the truck here. So I'll be right back. Hey, I want to thank our amazing sponsors at mules and more magazine. Mules and more has been around a long time. It's a great magazine, and uh, shoot, I've been reading this magazine since I was just a little kid. I remember my dad subscribed to this when I was little, and I'd read it every month and loved it. And now uh, our good friend Corey Daniels has taken over as editor of this magazine the last few years, and she has done an amazing job. Um, also, did you know that Meals More comes in a digital format? You can download it on your phone, read it wherever you're at. So. Hey, be sure to check them out, mealsmore.com. And, uh, you know, hey, tell them Ty sent you. I'd be very grateful. Mealsmore.com. Okay, uh, before our break, we were talking about Susan and her mule being scared of trucks, vehicles, cows. And I told you I would help you uh, work through this here. So let's talk about the cows because that is that is something that I'm way more familiar familiar with than traffic. I don't really ride my mules out in a lot of traffic. I mean, we live in this little town, Fountain Green, about 900 or well, there's a bunch of new houses. Maybe there's a thousand people. I don't know. Uh, but just a little town, not a lot of traffic. I could probably go out right now, um, this time of day, ride uh, across town and probably not run into anybody. Um, it, you know, maybe at, uh, five o'clock when everybody's rolling home, that might be a different story, but so I don't run into a lot of traffic and most of the riding I do is, is ranch, you know, ranch work, trail riding, packing. So I'm mostly out and about. So with the traffic, I would say, get the mule as broke as you can, Susan. Um, and then find some small back roads where you know there will be some traffic, but they're going to be driving along easy. It's not going to be like you're going down Main Street in your town. Now the cattle, that's a little easier. Um, that's quite a bit easier, actually. Uh, what I would recommend, and you said you keep her with some cattle, so that's good, and she's fine with those cattle. But I would, I would venture to say she probably tolerates those cattle. She doesn't, she's probably not great around them. And, and I have a mule here that I'm working through with cattle, getting him better with cows. And, uh, he's, he lives with the cows too. But when I turn them cows out, like, uh, they're, they're all in just a corral and got a feed bunk there and they eat together and they're fine. Um, but he kind of avoids them and does his thing and they do their thing. Uh, it's like they don't, they pretend each other doesn't exist. But when I turn those cows out in my arena 
to do a little work with them and move them around a little bit and play with them and rope and whatever. Uh, it's a different story. He's pretty scared of them. And I would venture to say that your mule probably do the same thing. I've seen that quite a lot. And I may be wrong, and you may have to figure something else out. Um, but I would take them out of their familiar area, so into your arena or into a different pasture. And <clears throat> what I would do is I would let the cows just wander over to the corner, wherever they want to wander. And I and I take my mule, and I, I just start loping some circles in, on the other end. So picture the cows on one end of the arena. I'm on the other end of the arena, and I'm just loping circles. And I'm just going around and around and around. I might stop, back up, do a little turn around, and I lope the other way. Around and around. I, I might lope circles for five five to ten minutes. I'm serious. I'm serious about that. Five or ten minutes. A lot of people lope a couple circles and they quit. I mean, I'm serious. I might lope for a little while. And, and after I've loped for five or ten minutes, I'm going to point my mule toward the cattle, and I'm just going to start walking. I am not going to push the mule to the cows. This is the key. Don't <clears throat> don't make them go to the cows. We want the cows to be a good thing. I want my mule to want cattle. And all my mules are going to work cows, so they need to kind of want the cows, okay? So I let the mule walk toward the cow. <clears throat> now, the second my mule acts as if it doesn't want to go, maybe he's a little nervous, maybe he doesn't want to walk to him, I'm not going to make him go to the cows. I'm just going to turn him back toward the arena, the end of the arena I started on. I'm going to lope a couple more circles. And this time, you probably ain't going to lope five or ten minutes. This time, I'm probably only going to lope like one minute each way. All right? And then I'm going to turn him toward the cows again and just let him walk towards them. And as long as he's walking toward the cattle, I'm completely quiet. Leave him alone. I'm thinking about walking toward the cattle in my mind. My body is saying, go toward the cows. But my legs, I ain't kicking them. And I'm not trying to block him with my reins. I'm just letting him go. Again, the moment he wants to turn away from the cows, I take him back to the end of the ring I started on. And I lope a couple more circles. And then I go back to the cows, walking to the cows. I'm going to keep doing this and see how close I can get. Now, you're going to keep track of how close you can get. And... And what I would recommend the first day is you don't try to get right up on the cattle, especially these mules that are really scared of them. Don't try to get right up on the cows or even try to move the cows. You're going to say, hey, I want to get 30 feet away from the cows. So you pick a spot that you want to get to. And whenever they're walking toward the cows, toward that spot, uh, life is going to be really good. And when they get to that spot that you chose, don't get greedy. That's the hard part, friends. You're going to get greedy. You're going to say, well, I got to this spot. Maybe now I should go to the cows. Hold yourself back from it. Don't do it. Just do a little bit. And get to where that mule finds a little comfort 30 feet away from the cows. Maybe that's all you do the first day. The next day you come out, do the same thing. Turn the cattle out. Let them settle on one end. <clears throat> it doesn't have to be the same end, although the cattle probably found comfort there, so they probably will go back to that same corner. It doesn't have to be the same corner, though. And you just start loping your mule um, or your horse on the other end. Same thing. Go through the same process. This time, say, I want to get 15 feet from the cattle. That's day two. And you work until you can get 15 feet from the cattle. Once he gets 15 feet, just let him stop. Don't make him stop. Don't pull on him. Making a mule stop is the equivalent of making him go. 
It's neither of those are what we want in this situation. Let them stop there and let them relax and just sit there. And you might sit there for, I mean, I'm serious. It might take you uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I don't know. Let them sit there. You might see him lick and chew. Let him sit there a little longer. You might notice that he'll lick and chew a little bit more. I've seen it many times where they lick and chew. And if you just sit there a little longer, maybe maybe a minute or two later, they lick and chew again. What's happening is they're replaying this in their mind, what, what just went on there and how they got to that point and how they got feeling good. Let them have those feel-good moments. So I would just set it up like that with the cattle and make it real easy to be near the cows, make it desirable. And by doing this, you're not making the mule get to the cattle. You're letting him find peace near the cow. And you're not really making them work that much away from him. You're just asking him to lope circles. I mean, your mule needs to know how to how to lope a circle anyways. It's a very basic thing, so they ought to know that anyhow. Um, so you kind of work on that. And in the meantime, Susan, like I said uh, earlier, I would really focus on getting these mules handy, getting them broke. Um, you know, I talk to people all the time that they have... They, they have something their mule's scared of. Uh, I've had mules that are scared of raccoons, mules that are scared of bears, mules that are scared of sheep, mules that are scared of cows and cats and dogs and their neighbors and their barns and their trailers and their trucks and four-wheelers and side-by-sides. Mules can be scared of anything. <clears throat> and you got to realize you, you are riding a very wimpy creature anyways. These, these mules are not particularly brave creatures. Uh, equine are not brave creatures. But they can become... They can become brave. You can help them to find comfort in those things and and be able to be uh, be self-regulating to where they understand how to how to come down off of that and manage themselves and not get so bothered. You can you can help them through that, and that's the key part there. But you got to get a handle on them. You got to get them broke, and you got to expose them a little at a time. And that's that's the other little thing about all this. Um, you know, we started talking about. The beginning of this episode, we was talking about a private clinic I did with my friend Amy from Idaho. She come down and spend three days, and and what I was telling her working with with things is, you know, there's not like you, you don't get like one big moment of training that really matters. You don't get a to to do all of it and get all of the rewards right now. Um, you know that doesn't. It doesn't really work that way. Like it, you don't get to have, you know, it's, it's not like if you're, if you're eating, okay, it's like food. You, you can't say, well, I'm going to starve myself all week long and then have all the important nutrients and have a really good meal on Friday. I'm only going to eat one good meal on Friday and that it's going to have all my vitamins, all my minerals, all of the protein I need, all of the uh, you know, all of the, the fruit and veggies I need and, and all these important pieces is, is going to have everything in one meal. The rest of the week, I'm not going to eat anything. It, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. That's not going to go good for you. And it's kind of the same thing with this whole mealmanship journey is, you know, one little piece at a time, one little piece here, one little piece there. Um, that private clinic with Amy, you know, one thing she, you know, like I said, she was trying to build was this willingness in her donkey to move faster, to walk out better, 
a willingness to ask, you know, to answer these questions that Amy asks of her. Um, because she also said sometimes she'll get to a bridge and the donkey will say no. Or she gets to this point and the trail, the donkey says no. And I said, well, you know, it's not like we're going to work on the bridge. Okay, your donkey doesn't like bridges. Okay, well, we're not going to sit there and work on the bridge. I said, we're going to work on getting yeses from your donkey. So ask it to turn left around that sagebrush. Go right around that rock. Stop at that tree. Go at that tree. Trot at that spot in the road. Lope at that spot. And you get these little yeses, yeses, yeses. One of the easiest yeses to build and get a yes mule from is raining through brush and through through things. So just turn left and turn right. And this little snake trails through all these things. You just you just make those and you get that critter saying yes the whole time. It's it's really amazing. And that's kind of what you have to do here, uh, Susan, is get this mule saying yes to more things. And and this is a good lesson for all of us. It's just one little thing at a time. It doesn't all come at once. And you're not going to get these big changes riding your mule one day a week. You got It's all the little things, all the little yeses. It's kind of like the what I was mentioning earlier about... Uh, working with my friend, catching the mule, getting getting that willingness from the beginning, getting the mule saying yes from the beginning instead of saying no. It's like my friend um, uh, Judy with her mule Sue. Uh, you know, getting Sue to accept that brush and say yes there instead of these no's. These, these are super important pieces. So anyways, hey, it's been a fun one today. Um, I've enjoyed chatting here, and I hope you have enjoyed listening. Um, hey, you know, I would love to hear your feedback on these podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts specifically, uh, you can leave a review. You can leave a five-star rating if you think we deserve it. Leave a review. I would love to hear from you. I, I really enjoy reading the reviews, hearing what you guys have to say about the podcast. If you don't listen on Apple and you listen on some other platform. That's great. But uh, you'll have to send me an email. Ty at tsmules.com. Send me an email. Tell me what you think. And if you ever have a question that you would like to have featured here on the podcast, uh, send me that email to the address I just mentioned there and uh, put in the subject line question for podcast and we'll be sure to get it on the show. Hey, until next time, God bless you guys. I hope you have a a very blessed Christmas, a Merry Christmas. Uh, keep our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ at the top of your mind. Um, throw, the, throw your mule a little extra hay on Christmas Day, huh? All right. God bless you guys. We'll see you.